everyone. Before we get started, I'd like to let you know that I'll be hosting a free webinar. If you've ever led a training session on DEI, you know that it can easily get stuck at raising awareness. We often focus too much on what people need to know about inclusion and equity, and not enough on how they can apply inclusive concepts. In the Amplify Your Impact webinar, we'll be showing you how you can use science-backed strategies in your own training to generate real culture change in teams and organizations. If you're interested, you can register in the link that will be included in the show notes. Welcome to Just One Q. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders about the latest trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each episode, I ask just one question tied to current events. The goal is to leave you with the tools that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. I'm going to be honest, I love to learn. It's what drove me and really sustained me throughout my PhD. It's what I love about the work that I get to do with learning snippets and dialectic. But I also know that there's points within our careers when our curiosity or desire to learn can diminish. And if learning happens best when students want to learn, how can we help our employees escape stagnancy and progress professionally? How can we encourage and create excitement for learning in the workplace? So for today's question, I'm asking, what are the benefits of being a student in the workplace and how can we ignite our employees' desire to continue learning? And to answer today's question, I'm joined by Humble the Poet. Humble, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So just a bit about Humble, if you don't already know who he is. Humble is a former school teacher turned creative. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years, crossing genres, mediums, and oceans. He's now an author, hip-hop artist, speaker, designer, filmmaker, and creative consultant. Humble's best-selling books, Unlearn and Things No One Else Can Teach Us, share stories from his own life and the lessons he learned from both his mistakes and his triumphs. So Humble, thank you so much. I'm really excited to dig into this topic. How do we ignite employees' desire to continue learning? Thank you so much for having me. I think the, I think it's kind of like, I, I always remember watching this interview about Kobe Bryant and him talking about how the NBA was a lot easier than getting to the NBA. Because he's like, once people get there, now they feel like they made it and they've like hit cruise control. Hmm. And I feel like we have this culture of like, go to school. And when you're a kid, you just go to school because that's what kids do. But eventually, as you get a little bit older, probably get into post-secondary education, you start to realize there's a purpose for this education and it's to get employed. And now the priority is, is getting gainfully employed. You pursue different skills and, and, and knowledge that will increase those opportunities. And I think the challenge with that is, is once it happens, once you get that degree, it kind of gives you this happily ever after mindset and now you're employed. However, you know, the same way you, you finish high school and then start at the bottom of university and work your way up, you know, you start into an organization, it's the same thing. So now it's not as structured in terms of opportunities for growth opportunities for learning, understanding where things can go. I was an elementary school teacher and it took another teacher to tell me about my opportunities to potentially become a principal. And mm-hmm. then you start to understand, okay, well, what has to happen over the next five to 10 years for me to qualify as a principal? What needs to be on my resume, you know, what have you. And I think that is a little bit more structured in the education system where it's not so much in organizations. Um, I also feel like the most talented among us are the people that are, uh, obsessed with learning, especially in their craft and flow, you know, people entering a flow state is generally when their confidence reaches a challenge. And I always relate that back to a video game. You know, you don't want to play an easy video game 
You don't want to have an easy day at life. You don't want to have an easy day at work. You want, to, you want it to be challenging. You want it to be engaging. And I think really encouraging this culture of people pursuing their, their natural passions and obsessions and continually being uncomfortable with it can encourage this growth. Because if you want your organization to grow, you know, you're going to need your teams to grow. And for your teams to grow, you need your individuals to grow. And I think setting those roadmaps, I think um, expressing those intentions in terms of an organization's uh, mission statement, and as well as including that as a culture, whether that's incentivizing learning, covering various different educational opportunities, whether it's having an organization training, really creating it uh, amongst those. And then, you know, mixing it up and having fun, maybe having a training session that has nothing to do with anything the organization is doing. It could be a cooking class or something. Um, and I think that idea of keeping individuals engaged, but as well as uh, allowing them to dip their toes into new things. Because I think we've all had this, nothing was the same moment. You were talking about doing your PhD. That is, you know, a lot of hours and a lot of research and a lot of energy. And you can only be sustained probably by a natural obsession for whatever you were researching. Yeah. And for you to be exposed to that topic in the first place, had somebody have had to put it in front of you or you had to come across it. And that's why even as elementary school teachers, we would expose the children to as much as possible. Like, you know, we're going to do two months about rocks and now we're talking about magnets and now we're talking about the animal life cycle. And now we're learning about pilgrims and, you know, now we're learning about World War II. And you just keep talking about all these things and it will connect with them on some level and you incorporate that into their reading and their math. And I think it's the same thing in an organization. Not much of that changes. It's it's really trying to appeal to the inner child and everybody. Mm. And, you know, it's not about filling up their bucket with information. It's about lighting their fire. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about the education system. And I said, literally, as long as you can light the fire in a child to want to read mm-hmm. voluntarily, like, that your job's done. You know, they'll figure out the rest themselves as long as they're actively reading for pleasure. And I think it's the same way where, you know, sometimes within an organization, you know, there's going to be the mandated, okay, well, we have to do this, this fire safety training, or we have to do workplace harassment training. But I think, you know, that stuff feels mandatory and that feels obligatory, but at the same time, creating these opportunities for people to learn new skills, view life from a new lens, contribute in different ways, and also maybe even doing things outside of their roles. I think that the division of labor kind of really has us in these, you know, mental cubicles. Play your role. Everyone plays their part. The machine works. Magic happens at the water cooler when two people cross by and hoping, you know, those situations return now that we're, it seems like we're the worst of the pandemic is over. Um, but I think that's really interesting, too, where it's like, you know, in a lot of corporate environments, it's subtly encourages a culture of competition hmm. and um you know your, your colleagues that you know working at a school i didn't have that my my fellow teachers were my competition we weren't competing for any specific jobs but at the same time you know we would work together but i know in in, in other corporate settings and even when i got to the entertainment industry you know at best it went from competition to cooperation you right. worked with people out of cooperation and we need to evolve that to a culture of collaboration, you know, where the sum of our parts are more important than us individually. And we're working towards a bigger mission and a greater goal. So one of the things that, that we're doing with Learning Snippets is that we're we're working on how 
how to help people and how to help organizations take take sort of training from just not just awareness. We understand what different terminologies means, but actually how to put things into practice. How to, you know, what what does it look like to be inclusive? What does it look like um, to address a bias when you see it? What is it in, in a coworker? How do, how do you have um, these conversations? And we often, you know, hear that people will say, well, we did this one course, so we're good. People are resistant because the topics are challenging, but we know that um, being able to have these conversations is really important. Or people will say, you know what, I'm at the end of my career. I don't want to do this. Or people will say, you know what? I'm, I'm at the beginning of my career. I know all this stuff. I just learned about it in school. Like, I'm good. How do we, like, in, in sort of communicate to people? Because I think some of the things that I've heard you say is that it's not just structured learning. You sort of mentioned a number of different ways that pe- we can learn from each other. So from the, the water cooler, um, potentially like job sharing or, you know, being seconded to other places and, and learning different roles or different things about yourself and creating opportunities for more informal learning. But we do sort of offer more structured stuff. And it's always interesting to hear people who are thinking about this stuff. How do we encourage folks who, you know, might be a bit stuck or stagnant or think that this isn't for them? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And it's, um, I'm trying to remember who said it. It might have been Warren Buffett, but it said, you know, you, you will have unlimited riches if you solve the problem of how to incentivize others. Um, and I think, you know, I was, I was thinking about when I was when I was in education, you know, my my pay uh, was related to my years of seniority uh, plus my education. Mm-hmm. And the education, so it was A1, A2, A3, A4. So A4 being the highest. So, you know, um, once you hit, so you, so somebody who has three years of teaching and their A1 gets paid probably $10,000 less a year than somebody who has three years of teaching is an A4. Mm-hmm. And A4 means you have a master's degree or an equivalent. So they had various pathways to get to A4. And, you know, that was the incentive. So now I'm taking online courses. I'm, I'm, I'm spending time in class, going back to university, doing this. But it's all to get on that higher pay grade. Once I hit A4, there's no more incentive for right. me to do anything. Uh, the courses I took, I, there was a lot of options. So I remember for me, I did two special uh, specialists. I did a specialist in reading and a specialist in guidance, saying, okay, maybe potentially I'll become a guidance counselor. But again, there's no additional incentive to, to yeah. be a guidance counselor other than, you know, you enjoy that work. Um, and I th- think that goes back to this culture of it's very linear. We look at it this way as when I became an artist, there was no longer a pot of gold at the end of my rainbow you know per se there's no uh, retirement age it's just the rainbow the rainbow is the pot of gold and i'm on this rainbow as long as i can be on this rainbow as long as my facilities work Uh, i'm not going to retire and live on a beach and do nothing Uh, i'm going to be an artist until i die and i think that that was a really big shift versus when i was a teacher i was legitimately adding up you know we had a it's called the 85 factor. So your, right. years of, your years of work plus your age equals 85. So me, I started really young as a teacher. I was teaching at 22. So I think my 85 factor was like the age of 54. And so um, yeah. Just counting was, down the days, the years. You're literally counting down the days, the years, and trying to imagine like, will there be flying cars by the time I retire? But, um, and I, and I think it's, it's that kind of concept that I said, like with going back to Kobe Bryant and the league, he said it was easier because once people made the league, they stopped working. They weren't, mm-hmm. there was, they weren't, there was nothing much to work towards. There wasn't that much incentive to work towards it. And I think the incentivization of it has to happen. Um, live in an idealistic society where we assume everybody who is working their job is doing it because it's their life's purpose. Right. Um, 
every now and then we do come across that. I did come across teachers who would have be, who would have been doing it for free. I've come across artists who would be doing this completely for free. They're obsessed mm-hmm. with the lifestyle. They are obsessed with the journey, figuring it out, sharing it in, in that cycle. And I think creating these incentives to let them know that you can carry this on um, endlessly uh, and at the same time uh, attaching it back to the, the mission statement of the organization and what they're here to accomplish. I think um, we, we get lost in the fact that every, and, and, and I notice this a lot living out here in Hollywood now, um, any successful organization or business is only successful because they solve a problem or provide a service for everybody else. They're not thinking about themselves or thinking about everybody else. Uh, And I'm in a world where everybody is focused on themselves and getting support and and doing all of that. And I think when we start to make people feel valued uh, through their contributions and how they're, they're attaching that, you know, if you work at Apple and, you know, I remember having a conversation with them and how that was the first time my mother was able to figure out how to use a piece of technology by herself. Before that, her her Dell laptop, she, she couldn't figure it out. She went to a class, didn't know how to do anything. Meanwhile, gave her an iPad. She figured it out in a week. And now she can follow me along. Now we can FaceTime. And that to me was more important than the technology than anything else. It was what, you know, it was it's the hole, not the drill. Yeah. And, and I think reestablishing that with our teams is extremely important. Why are we here? What are we here to accomplish? Who are we here to serve? How are you able to help with that serving? And then now creating space for people to take risks, contribute to the fail fast culture and, and say, okay, you know, what crazy ideas do we have to, to take this to the next level? Because um, very often there are these individuals with these non-traditional, unconventional ideas, and they may be in organizations that don't facilitate an environment for them to recognize that. And then they go off on their own and we get our Steve Jobs of the world or Elon Musk of the world that have to do it on their own because they weren't in an environment that, that encouraged it. Um, and I think that open dialogue and communication, both uh, vertically and horizontally, is super important. Um, I, I watched a talk at Google Zeitgeist a few years back, and it was a happiness coach. And he said one of the, the biggest determinations of happiness is going to a job every day with somebody you consider a good friend. Hmm. And I think sometimes just that simple idea of building this cohesion between people. And um, what I've realized in, in my time is that bonding doesn't happen, you know, at the at the Christmas party. It doesn't happen on the at the bachelor party. It happens when you when you share a struggle together. You know, I went to Poland with a group of twelve men training Wim Hof, the ice method, sitting in ice. Oh, my dad uh, does that. Yeah, it's it's. Well, uh, my it, my uncle did like he did a, his first um or maybe second anyway. He like did the like the ice bath. The, well, not no, but like hopping in a river like yeah. in the middle of winter. Yes. Um, my dad doesn't do that. He he does the, the breathing and the ice ice bath stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay, that's cool. Yeah. So doing that with twelve strangers, you know, makes them strangers no more. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're you guys are collectively anxious about this. You've never done it before. You guys have questions. We're all scared. We're all you know old enough to admit we're scared, and and we're holding hands walking into this river. And that's been that's been an instant bonding moment for me and a lot of people that would have just normally been strangers had I met them at a party. And I think that's a really interesting thing that we can do as well. So where we can be uncomfortable together, learn to rely on each other again, open up these walls between each other, encourage more dialogue, facilitate an environment for that. Don't let the water cooler moments just be happy accidents. I think it was Steve Jobs, I believe at one of the offices, it could be it could have been Pixar where he, you know, he tried to spread out 
the bathrooms as far as possible to get people to have to just cross by other people hmm. in order to go. Um, I don't think it was the most successful idea. I think, you know, some people <laughs> need to get closer to the bathroom, but I think the, the spirit of it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there always is on the other side, this idea of being efficient and cost cutting and all of this type of stuff. Um, but I think those are short-term gains in terms of the long-term cultural benefits that we can have, uh, getting people excited to, to learn and contribute to, to let somebody know their voice matters, that they're allowed to, uh, color outside the lines. They're allowed to, uh, work beyond their lanes. So maybe if they're working in accounting, but they have a great idea for marketing, there's an opportunity to do that. There's, yeah. there's an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody about that. My sister is, a is a, um, a project planner at an airline and she noticed the airline was doing influencer marketing and then did the work, figured out who the person was, reached out and said, Hey, my brother is, he's got a pretty strong following on social media. I think he'd fit your, your campaign. Having that ability to do so, yeah. um, not only just having the ability, finding, you know, within the internal system, having confidence, being encouraged to do it, being yeah. incentivized to do it being celebrated when you do it, whether it works out or not. I think all of that's important. So nobody's afraid of stepping on anybody's toes. And as I said, sometimes there can be this culture of competition amongst employees and, and teammates uh, when it really should graduate to cooperation and then finally evolve to collaboration. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we often, when we think about learning, we think about it in these structured ways. Again, like you mentioned at the top of the, the show, that, that there's the, you know, we have to do our, our WIMIS or we've got to do our um, annual fire training or health and safety stuff. And, and the work that we do, we do create these structured training. What you're sort of offering us here is to think about a bit more is about what does it look like to just encourage people to, well, one, it reward, reward people for taking risks, reward people for um, kind of learning on the job, for finding these moments that aren't necessarily structured, but allowing the space within an organization for people to start to follow a line, follow a passion, even if it's not necessarily within their job description, their job title, and, and creating the conditions for which people will want to take these risks to allow people to perhaps find a new passion or find a new interest. And so supporting learning in these alternative ways. I think that's a really cool insight. And I really want to thank you for, for sharing that with us and for giving us sort of a different way of thinking about what learning can look like in the workplace and how, how we can keep people engaged and and inspired to continue to be creative, even even though we're in the workplace and we kind of have these roles, but there are ways that we mm. can we can break free from them from a little bit and really get the best out of people and, and allow people to be, I don't want to say this, their best selves, but allow people to... Um, be their most authentic self. Yeah. Um, Give people agency <clears throat> as, as well, I think. It's the other yeah. thing is enable people to have agency to do these things um, as well. Yeah, and I think it's also important to recognize that I think very often we use these terms like stagnant, where mm -hmm. we're stagnant at our job, but everything is forever moving. It's just moving in the opposite direction. The, the muscle is growing or, or it's, it's experiencing atrophy. Mm -hmm. The muscle doesn't stay where it's at. So, you know, your your team isn't stagnant. Your, your team is either shrinking in their capacity and their motivation and, and their flame or they're growing. So it's, it's, it's really a matter of deciding the direction because the movement is, is, is a, is a, phenomenon of nature we're always in constant movement and it's up to us to adjust our sails to decide what direction that we're headed in and i think um you know the consequence for not doing this isn't simply staying where you are it's 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 literally being the dinosaur watching the asteroid 
this is it's evolve or die and i think that's extremely important and as we're further in in, in deeper into the, in, into these worlds of organizations where various organizations will try to squeeze out a little bit more from their teams it feels radical to to, to take a step back so you can take two steps forward mm-hmm. um, but i think it's essential for long-term growth as well as having maintaining retention as well as attracting top tier talent there's, there's only so much a salary can incentivize before somebody says okay i I'm having fun at work. Mm-hmm. I think that's that that's a much greater incentive in the long run. Or I enjoy I look forward to seeing people at work. I'm excited to see them. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what we had as kids. And we had we had new friends, we had new experiences, and every year it changed. There was a whole new classroom. And I think I became obsessed with that, mm-hmm. that that idea of no two days being the same. And I, I can't overly romanticize any role because at the end of the day, there's to, to be great at any craft requires uh, repetition and it can mm-hmm. be mundane. Going back to a Kobe reference, he sits there and takes the same shot over and over and over. It's not exciting in practice, but at the same time, finding ways to make this more engaging. I feel like everybody wins from the top all the way down. Well, I don't think I could summarize it better than that. So I won't even try, but I want to thank you humble for being here. Uh, today and for sharing your insights. For those who are interested in learning more about Humble the Poet, you can follow him on your favorite social media channel at Humble the Poet. We're going to put his links uh, in the show notes as well. If you're interested in booking Humble to speak uh, to your your workplace, you can find out more um, about this at humblethepoet.com. And as always, if you have any of your own questions or would like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Humble, thank you so much again for being here. It was uh, really awesome talking to you and um, really grateful for your time. Well, until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horan, and this is Just One Cue.